0: Open banking, and of course, that's a key. That's a, another key area where essentially it makes a lot of sense to outsource the technical complexity of connecting to the different uh, open banking APIs.
1: All the fintechs will have to play a very fine balance between when do they start bringing something in-house, how much do they continue to outsource, and how much do they use partners to deliver their offering.
2: I think technology has come on leaps and bounds. If you look at the banking system, I don't know when it was built. I'd have to you know, lean on one of the other co- colleagues to say it's been around a while so the technology maybe isn't as cutting edge as it could be and it's held by regulation.
3: Hello and welcome to Shine, a podcast by Star. My name is Tom Hunt, your host and in this episode we explore the businesses creating value within the fintech ecosystem. So it used to be that fintech businesses would have to rely on the older, more established financial institutions for services, but now new fintech companies are popping up to support the fintech ecosystem. And so we asked the question in this episode, why is this happening and what impact is that having on the world of finance? So to help us illuminate this topic, we're joined by Star's very own Olivier Bessie who is a product director in Starve fintech practice. We're also joined by Scott Lucas the co-founder and chief commercial officer at Munovate and also Prerna Goel who is the head of customer experience at Clearbank. So let's jump right into this episode and the first voice you'll hear will be that of Olivier.
0: I'm Olivier Bassi. I'm a product director here at STAR. Uh, essentially, what that means is I'm working with our customers both. Uh, in terms of the delivery, to make sure that our projects are running well and the solutions that we deliver are fit for our customers' need, and I'm also working with uh, our tentative customers to help uh, shape our proposals and make sure our product offering are uh, up to scratch, should I say? Uh, and before before that, I've been in various uh, product management position in the fintech industry, in particular for quite a few years at uh, Star, uh, then FIS, uh, and then some uh, some small ventures after that. So excited to talk about. today.
2: Hi, great to be here. I'm um, Scott Lucas, Chief Commercial Officer, Monovate, co founder. Um, we're a new EMI regulated in the UK, Lithuania, based in Cambridge, soon to be London as well. Been in this space for predominantly about 11 years with major banks, acquirers, issuers. And we ultimately see ourselves as an enabler of other fintechs. Um, genuinely looking forward to this conversation today.
1: Hi, thank you for having me here today. So I'm the head of customer experience at ClearBank. Uh, ClearBank is uh, one of the first new clearing banks in UK in the last 250 years. And uh, we work with other financial institutions and partner up with them to help them unlock their full potential by offering them agency banking and banking as a service uh, solutions. I have been in the banking industry for the past sixteen years, of which uh, I've spent eleven years in the in the field of payments. Before ClearBank, I was at Metro Bank, and ClearBank. I started out as one of the original members. So I've seen the journey from an idea to scaling and becoming a disruptor in the market. So very excited to share some thoughts today.
3: Incredible. The first question I'm going to ask is very broad. It's the highest level question we have. As we know, on these episodes, we like to start broad and then get more detailed, more advanced. My first question is, what do we mean by a fintech? And when did this all start? And Olivier, I'd like to go to you first, uh, if that's possible.
0: Yes, yes. So essentially, I think the fintech is a term that's uh, kind of taken multiple multiple shapes and meanings. I think at, really at the very start, what were described as fintech uh, were um, firms which, which were essentially competing against traditional financial providers, let's say banks and uh, and brokers and the likes in terms of, providing I would say financial services to for example whether it's the consumers or other businesses but I would say putting technology at uh, at the core of what uh, of what they were doing of their processes and their uh, their customer offering. I think since then the term has somewhat been broadened to uh, include I would say more traditional I would say software providers. but yeah I'd certainly be <laughs> uh, interested to hear what uh, Scott and Pruner would uh, say about that.
2: In all honesty, Olivia, I agree with you. I think fintech in its current guise is exactly what the name suggests: it's technology to enable, fin- you know, finance to happen. It's sort of, in my opinion, it stemmed on the back of the the banking collapse, banking crisis, whatever we want to call it. It Was that early two thousand and five, two thousand and eight sort of era? And there was a lot of distrust at that time. You know, people weren't really trusting their banks. You also had, at the same time, there was a more of an understanding around electronic money, EMI, and what was available. And so it enabled people to come to market working with partners through technology stacks to bring different choices to the consumers in the market. So I do think it's come on a massive journey since then. You know, We're going into the world of blockchain, et cetera now. Will the term fintech ever cease to exist? Will it just become the norm, such as high-tech? Everyone should talk about the world of high-tech. Will fintech cease to exist in a, a... term and it just becomes the norm? Possibly.
1: (laughs) I think just to add to that, for me, a couple of things uh, probably helped uh, fast track the trend. And I think one was, you know, especially in the UK, you know, regulators have done a fantastic job of really thinking about how do we promote competition? How do we create an ecosystem where, we can have more players offering better customer outcomes. And you know, by providing the right kind of regulatory frameworks and structures, it has actually allowed a lot of non-banks to come in and, and start offering parts of the proposition rather than needing to have the full banking license to provide the full end-to-end service. I think the other thing which has happened is the consumer behavior has changed, I think, uh, with, with smartphones, with just consumers getting more aware of what is possible with technology. I think we saw a very similar trend in the entertainment industry where we moved away from a push model to a pull model, right? And and I think all of that has made consumers a lot more aware of what their needs are, what they want. And actually, when you start pulling all of this together, it creates, I think, a perfect environment for technology to start solving consumer needs, and fintech is nothing but bringing those two things together. And it's only possible because regulators are allowing us uh, with the right kind of regulatory permissions and, and options because there are certain parts of the world where that's not possible because the regulatory environment is not as flexible as we have it in the UK. So yeah, it's an exciting time to be in, in this part of the world for sure.
3: So let's give a shout out to the UK regulators for, for helping promoting the fintech ecosystem. Uh, Scott, just to take your point a little bit further, you said. Do we think that at some point in the future, fintech will just become the norm? And actually, the topic today, I think, is along those lines and may actually speed that up. And this is fintech applications or businesses being able to support each other, whereas previously they may have had to rely on a traditional institution. And I actually think, as you mentioned in the intro, Manavit is an example of this. So I'm going to go to you, Scott. Why is this happening now? Why have fintechs uh, sprung up to serve each other?
2: You can point to quite a few reasons why there is the regulation that enables these companies such as ours to come to market under an EMI and offer these services. I think technology has come on leaps and bounds. If you look at the banking system, I don't know when it was built. I'd have to you know, lean on one of the other colleagues to, to say this, but it's been around a while. So the technology maybe isn't as cutting edge as it could be, and it's held back by regulation. With the invention of you know, the cloud, open APIs, et cetera, and The distrust of bank did have a lot to do with me. The consumer became suddenly king and could do all of these new interesting things. I think this new technology with APIs in clouds instantaneously to be able to scale or descale your business wherever appropriately under regulation that permits this at an affordable entry point to market without necessarily having to go and get the regulation and you know, putting down all the capital that's required for, a, for someone with an idea. Ultimately, it could be something as simple as that. It's an idea. It's a hell of a business case to write, to go and ask for X amount of money for a regulator in the UK, X amount of money for a regulator in Europe to come up with a, a European play. But with companies such as ours, that cost, that time to market has gone away. You know, through working with card schemes, because we, as we mentioned earlier, we're predominantly card scheme based. We do banking as a service as well. But we've we've taken the time to remove those obstacles to market. Yes, you still need to have the relevant AML, et cetera, in place. But you can get to market an awful lot quicker and an awful lot cheaper than if we didn't exist. And there, there isn't just me providing this service. You no, know, there are other people. But without us, the time to market would be enormous the cost to market would be enormous. And therefore, I don't think you'd have so many interesting concepts out there because they'd die before they ever raised the money to get to market, which then stifles what consumers ultimately want because it's consumers that decide whether something's going to be a success or not.
3: I just want to break... like. Totally makes sense. And I think I just basically asked you why your business exists. So it's a great question to ask. (laughs) um, I just want to break this down for somebody who may not be that familiar with the fintech world. Could you just be specific like from a consumer standpoint in what you provide to a fintech and what that consumer would experience on the other end? I know they wouldn't necessarily see the Manavate brand, but what are you actually doing for the fintechs?
2: Essentially, we have We're licensed by Visa, MasterCard, and Discover to provide issuing and acquiring services for ATMs. We have a platform designed and built by our friends at Star on this call. So we can operate in two ways. One, we operate as a bin sponsor. Ultimately, a consumer, so not a consumer, a business could come to us with an idea who wants to go to market. And somewhere in their journey, they need a card to to play a part we can facilitate that card actually coming to market. We've brought a whole host of different sectors, different parts of the ecosystem together into one platform to ultimately enable anyone's, it's a bold statement, but to enable anyone, whether you're a a small fintech, whether you're a large bank who simply can't move on because of legacy, the theory behind it is that you could connect into our platform and be able to offer these cards to your consumers and all of the benefits that come with that offering. So you know, as well as saving the money, there's a speed to market. We have bins ready to go. We, I think we're still hold the record for the fastest ever MasterCard program. It was two weeks. So theoretically, within a matter of, let's say four to six weeks, you can be up and running from scratch, subject to contract and AML, et cetera. But you can be up and running and issuing your first cards, virtual cards to consumers, virtual cards to pay your expenses, And I think that makes a huge difference. Because when I started in this market 11 years ago, the thought of even even being able to go and obtain a bin and issue a card in anything less than 9 to 12 months was just unheard of. So the capability is there. If you scale infinitely, we're in the cloud. MasterCard's in the cloud on the back end of us. Our process in the cloud. It doesn't matter. The bigger you get, we just expand with you.
3: Makes total sense. Open question to the floor. What do we mean by banking as a service?
1: I think it's a term that is currently being used to describe pretty much anything and everything. But if I strip it back, and and actually the the explanation is in the name, right? It is truly banking as a service. So it is is ability for licensed banks to provide their banking license to non-banks to be able to offer various banking products right in the simplest of terms and that could mean current accounts that could mean payment processing that could mean pretty much anything under the sun that a bank can provide and why is this important and i think i think scott described what monovate does and, and how it's solving one of the problems in the industry really well is you know if you can think about what it takes to become a bank and what it costs to get your license and then maintain and run it's an extremely expensive, and time-consuming proposition. So rather than everybody going out and getting their banking license, banking as a service is essentially a mechanism by which the smaller players who actually have a very cool, interesting end-customer proposition, but they need an underlying bank account or an underlying banking capability to provide that for them to be able to offer that end-customer proposition quickly, cheaply, and more effectively. And actually, uh, ClearBank provides banking as a service, and 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 actually, we are one of the very few true banking as a service providers because we have our full banking license. Uh, whereas there are others in the market who say they provide banking as a service, but they don't actually have the banking license. And and I think that's the debate in the market as to what is really banking as a service. And I think. For us, our focus is, you know, our vision is that we want to enable the fintechs and other financial institutions to achieve their potential. So actually, the very reason that the reason we exist is to help others use our banking license to deliver what they need to deliver. And again, it's powered by the same concepts of a technology stack that is containerized, that is scalable, that's resilient, that is easy to integrate with and actually we bear all of the cost all of the overhead of dealing with the regulators and we we take that pain away from our our partners and they can focus on really giving the end customer what they are good at so actually you know going back to the basics of strategy for those of you who have studied strategy in school they always say focus on what your core competency is and then you can outsource pretty much everything else and and i think that's what we are doing we are enabling fintechs to focus on their core competency and they can outsource their banking management to us. And similarly, we focus on our core competency, which is providing banking as a service, and we are outsourcing all of the other cool, interesting customer experience elements to our fintech partners.
3: This is all coming together for me now. <laughs> so a non-bank would come to ClearBank, and then you would enable them to use your tech stack, use your license in order to offer their services. And so they can just focus on giving their end user an amazing experience. And then also, interestingly, Perno, your your role at ClearBank is to give those non-banks, I assume, an amazing experience. So that how that t- that ties in there.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And it's an interesting place to think about what co- good customer experience actually means in this space. It's not as simple as, you know, when you think about customer experience for end customer for a, for a retail customer. So for me, I think the biggest and most interesting journey has been figuring out what actually works. For other financial institutions, it's not as simple as automating everything because you there are elements of customer experience you can't automate like you can for a retail customer. It's been an interesting problem to I, I think un, uh, navigate.
3: So let's take this forward. We talked about and we now understand banking as a service. I understand there are other types of financial products or other things within the financial world that can also be offered as a service. Could somebody uh, share an example of this? With the audience, so they can understand what else is being offered by these fintech providers.
0: I can offer a few examples. I, th- I think, really, as as Prina mentioned, uh, banking as a service is very much an umbrella term for, I would say, a fairly a fairly wide areas of um, uh, functionality, if you like, that fintechs may need to be able to uh, leverage without you know, being regulated and investing in the technology. To do that, I think, well, a, a prime example is, you know, to follow up on, on Scott's point is the issuance of cards, whether they're Credit cards, debit cards, prepaid cards. So that's something that essentially the likes of Monovate uh, would enable uh, program managers and essentially businesses to offer their own card programs. I wouldn't say at the click of a button, but at least in very you know in a seamless manner. Uh, I think another uh, good example would be the, the provision of uh, IBAN. Services so essentially uh, virtual accounts. So there's for a number of uh, reasons. fintechs, for example, in in investment world, may want to have to open segregated accounts essentially for uh, for their customers in order to essentially ensure that the funds are safe. For example, prior to them being invested. So in that case, it's very uh, very important for them to be able to say once you've received, let's say the you know uh, x thousand pounds that you're planning to invest, they're going to be de- deposited into essentially a segregated account. And if I'm a fintech, I don't want to build that layer. So I would be able to go to, for example, the likes of ClearBank and open that virtual accounts and uh, credit the X thousand account, uh, pounds to it. And then once they are ready for uh, investment, I'm then going to be able to access those funds. So this is, this is these are a couple of uh, interesting examples. I would say in the wealth management space as well, you have some uh, some good opportunities with the ability to have almost kind of you know portfolio management on tap, almost where you have uh, the ability to access a uh, solution to manage, for example, the portfolio of ETFs, like for example, the the robo advisors would provide. But the idea is that you have almost like a, a robo advisor that you can access on tap, if, if that makes sense.
2: I think it's almost the, the cool thing to do at the moment, isn't it? To to, to brand everything as a service. I think. We've certainly seen fraud as a service because of the ability now through API calls to pass data instantaneously. You can in real time pick that data up from your customer journey, pass it through to a third party who can provide a fraud score as a service on that particular transaction without having to do a full integration, which was historically how it worked. Um, One of the interesting things that we're seeing coming to market is the concept of credit as a service. In this market, you obviously You've got the cards playing a part and you've got the, the bank accounts playing a part, but, but more of distribution channels. The actual credit to service is the piece that sits behind it, whether you're using open banking to get your credit scores, whether you're using algorithms to get your credit scores. And then you have this concept of a huge pool of lenders behind based on whatever credit score comes back who are immediately in real time able to offer you to your customers, you know, money at a certain rate. I think it's a really interesting concept that's coming to market was it's been it's been driven a lot by the buy now pay later sector that is remarkably fashionable at the moment and doing a great job. I think that's a I think that's really got legs. And I think that can go somewhere because traditionally credit cards loans all tended to be from big players, but with this this ability to move data in real time across various networks, I think you can have some really interesting future use cases for this. Watch this space I would say on that one.
1: Yeah, I think I think one of the interesting things that's happened is right with with open banking and with with ability to spin up pretty much anything using APIs, you can basically containerize and modularize any part of the value chain and you can sell it as a service, right? And I think that's actually what makes this whole space very exciting because I can Imagine a world where you can actually spin up a bank in like a bank, which is not really a bank, in in a matter of months if you just hooked into a lot of different uh, service providers who are offering various X as a service. And you can actually offer customers a much, potentially a much better customer experience, much better, faster offering than some of the existing banks, right? So I think open banking definitely helps with that, because I think, again, it starts allowing you access to data that you previously didn't have. It starts creating standardization of data that you didn't have, which which means you can actually start accessing different parts of the puzzle. Whereas previously, you know, this data wasn't structured, the data couldn't be accessed, the data couldn't be processed. And it wasn't modular so you can't really you couldn't really break it was one monolithic value chain rather than individual parts of the puzzle i mean i think scott is right right i have heard about pretty much everything as a service right now i think the interesting thing will be how many of these actually survive versus how many of these are a bit of a fad. Because not everything needs to be outsourced, right? You can actually, the cost of outsourcing might actually be higher than building it in-house in some cases. But fraud as a service, I think is pretty cool. It's pretty interesting because I think it definitely solves a very unique problem.
0: No, and of course, nothing you've mentioned open banking. And of course, that's a key. That's another key area where essentially it makes a lot of sense to outsource the, I would say, the technical complexity of connecting to the different uh, open banking APIs, which, you know, obviously there's one Regulation, if you like, but there's there's a multitude of uh, technological standards in terms of how those APIs work. So essentially, that makes a lot of sense. And we're you know we're doing a, at the moment a project for a, um, a firm in that space to basically deploy a solution that is going to enable you to have one interface uh, and then to to trun- to leverage a leverage their their license uh, their uh, AISP or PISP license uh, and also to connect to the various APIs, for example, in the various uh, European locations all following their own, their own standards. So yeah, I think that's a prime, a prime example, probably one of the, success, the most successful one I would say, and most uh, most likely to stay.
3: So what I'm basically hearing here is that the revenue streams or the business model of the legacy financial banks are experiencing increased competition, let's say. So I have two parts to the question. First is what are the banks doing about this? And secondly, as you guys have all mentioned, it seems like the open banking thing has almost catalyzed this revolution so a what are the banks doing but b did the banks try and stop the open banking thing because they knew that it would get in the way of their i don't want to say monopolies but get in the way of their growth so two parts to that question
0: well, i think I'll, I'll start with an answer so i think they didn't so much uh, try to stop the the open banking because i think it w- would, would have been a losing battle really the the what they have tried uh, to do, and I think to an extent that's um, that's sh- uh, what shows up in the uh, the regulation, is I would say to an extent reclaim control of it. In that I would say the must the must have, if you like, points in the open banking process is the authentication must be done by the bank. So so although if you like the whole uh, of the process, for example, the the end business process can be offered by, for example, the uh, the fintech in its website or its uh, app, the authentication must be with with the bank and i think that so that that enables that uh, enables them to be part of that process and of course that that does away with a lot of the, the security risks associated with you know screen scraping and storing passwords etc so i think that's one thing that they, they have done and it's indiably a good thing for the consumer as well is they uh, they have made sure that they uh, they are in charge of the uh, the authentication but i, I think the, the risk for them is to still uh, kind of lose the, um, the end consumer in terms of the, well, the actual business process or the actual uh, service that is provided to the consumer.
1: I think just going back to the question on how the banks are reacting or what are they doing about it and it, are they worried, I think different banks are taking different approaches, right? I think some of the banks have actually decided to leverage this as an opportunity to transform their own legacy tech Because they have an opportunity to actually work with some of these fintechs to uh, change parts of their system without actually incurring the kinds of costs they would have incurred in the past. So I think some some banks are further along on that journey of really embracing the change. I think some of them have also tried to launch digital only uh, banking offerings, you know, to try to continue to play in the space. I think uh, there are others who are probably going to be left behind if they don't really, not just because of what's happening with the fintech, but more because of what's happening with decentralized financing and embedded financing. I think I think that is a bigger risk and a bigger threat to the traditional banking industry than than some of the fintech, because I think some of the stuff that's happening with technology can actually help them really play a pretty critical role. I think there's still parts of the value stream in the traditional banking space as an example that Oliver men, uh, Olivia mentioned on open banking, but there are other parts where you have to be a bank, right? So when it comes to connection to payment schemes, some of the payment schemes only give access to banks. Others are exploring different different options. So I think banks still have a pretty important role to play in the value value chain, but and they can actually embrace it and 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 expand and grow. I think that the decentralization piece is going to be an interesting one to see whether that actually truly disrupts the traditional banking space for the bigger banks. My two cents anyways.
3: Yeah, yeah. I think we'll leave the uh, DeFi discussion to a separate podcast episode because I think that's quite a deep and complex topic. Absolutely. (laughs) And we have to be a little bit sensitive about this question, I think, because a lot of the fintechs we'll be talking about are potentially customers of both Manavet and ClearBank. But we said, I think it was you, Prana, who mentioned earlier that maybe some of these fintech providers that are other servicing many different channels may not survive past their VC funds. So do we have any more thoughts about that? Like, do we think that the big risk that a number of these fintechs will go out of business because they cannot become profitable, they're not providing enough value to the end user?
1: Yeah, I think for me, it's. That I think it's less about whether they're providing enough value to the end user. I think it's also about whether this model where you literally are taking recipes for fa- from five different restaurants and actually providing a different way of ordering those recipes is that a scalable business model i think it's it's too new a phenomenon to say how many of these will actually be able to scale because i think when you do have it does complicate your back end system to some extent when you have a lot of different as as a service providers hooked into your system i think if the end customer proposition is is valid and it's actually solving a problem, I think there is an opportunity for these organizations to survive because we are talking about a huge market here. I think customers are just, they want more and more and more. They want more interesting things, faster things, better things. I think it's more just figuring out how much outsourcing of each of the capabilities is too much. And I don't I don't think I have the answer. I don't think anybody has the answer because we have seen examples of of some organizations where once they reach a particular size, they do have to start bringing some of that capability in-house because that's the only way they are able to scale and grow because some of their partners may not be able to scale and grow at the rate at which they are growing and scaling. I think it's too soon to pass a judgment on this. I think there is huge opportunity. I think it is working. I think all the fintechs will have to play a very fine balance between when do they start bringing something in-house, how much do they continue to outsource and and how much do they use partners to deliver their offering? I would be very keen to hear Scott's views on this, actually.
2: It's a really interesting question. And there's certain opportunities out there that will grow and grow and grow, who will use a fintech or uh, an as a service provider within their model, because at some stage during their customer journey, they will need to make a payment. Now, that isn't the reason why they exist. You, you know, you've got this whole gig economy thing that has been around for God knows how many years and is integrated into numerous payment providers, whether it's taking a payment, provisioning a card for the cost of the meal at the restaurant that's being picked up by Deliveroo, et cetera. So there's a whole host of people who work with as a service providers that it they will always work with them because it's not a key part of their business model. Their mis- business model is something else, but they, because of the rails that exist in the world, they are utilizing the capabilities that certain people have to simplify their business model. Because without this chain, they would have to have a different way of paying all of these people, which would be far more costly, time consuming and everything else for them to go to market. So I think there is always going to be use cases for it. I think there's a really interesting case when you do get to a certain size. And I've seen it over my my years in the industry, you get to a certain size and all of a sudden you you do want to, whether it's control some costs, take back some control, you do see people start to snip out certain parts of the chain, whether it is the processing part, whether it's, you know, you, you get your own license to do that. I did have this conversation with one of my, one of my friends around, do VCs ever run out of money? He was very, he was very flippant. He said, he said, share prices always go up. So therefore VCs won't ever run out of money. So we're okay. So it's an interesting case. I mean, I have my own personal views. I think at some point there needs to be a line drawn and you need to have some profit coming into a company. And how you do that, you know, whether it is to, you know, as has been mentioned, bring some of these services in-house, because you could do that, you know, for probably far less than it you're spending on an ongoing basis when you hit 10 million users, et cetera. You could probably bring a lot of this in-house and simplify that. But I don't think it's something that's that's going away anytime soon. I think this, the use case is around for a long time, and we've seen a lot of, certainly over the past two or three years, of we've been working with more and more banks in this space, You know, not just fintechs and VC funded, actually working with banks to a point that was made earlier, Tom, around. They can utilize capability that we have, Clearbank have, et cetera, to test things in market that historically they've never been able to do because of the legacy, the time, the various committees alone. They'd never be able to do this. So... I think you may say the use case for fintech perhaps change, and I, you know different customers come on board. But I think it's around for the long the long term. And to requote him, I don't think VC money is going anywhere at the moment. I think we're okay for a while.
0: I tend to agree, and I, I would also probably see those. I guess B two B. I would say ventures like let's say banking as a service is probably uh, more uh, more resilient to let's say some of the uh, some of the B2C uh, use cases. Where I think in the B2C space it's very easy to spend uh, I guess a lot on customer acquisition and you, know, you can't really justify that based on uh, let's say lifetime customer value. I think when you're in the the B2B space probably you have, you have more um, I guess stickiness of the the customer base. I think as Scott mentioned, of course you know once you once your customers are grown past a certain point. They can consider migrating to to save on costs but there, there still remains a certain um yes i would say s- uh, stickiness of your business uh, and i think it's almost like that that analogy with the you know the the gold rush where you know if you if there's a gold rush the uh, one way to uh, to become rich is uh, to try and find gold but you, you may not find it but you know the, the sure way of getting rich is to sell uh, you know uh, um, pickaxes and uh, spades so i think that it's all it's almost like that i guess the banking as a service is almost like the the pickaxe and uh, Spades of the
3: fintech world. A beautiful analogy. To finish off, I'd like to ask each of you if you could share an, an example or an implementation of this trend, this trend of fintech serving other fintechs that we think is making the world a better place.
1: I always, I mean, this is a product offering that is very close to my heart, but uh, and it's it's uh, something that we actually got uh, funding for from BCR, the Williams and Glynn. Uh, funding process that happened a while ago. Um, so ClearBank and Tide have uh, have a partnership where we offer uh, business banking accounts to Tide's customers. And it's a great example of banking as a service where we actually offer the underlying uh, FSCS protected current account uh, which is on our regulatory license and and tied actually who is a specialist in understanding the SME space and provides the customer experience, the customer value, the customer acquisition, and and so it's a great example where we are actually giving access to banking accounts to to those under to a, a largely underserved market, uh, especially post pandemic or or during pandemic. So I think I think that's a great example where uh, and to both. Incredibly successful organisations came together and decided to join forces rather than compete with each other to actually give a product that's solving a real problem in the UK economy. So I, I think that's that's a great example of that product.
3: I can attest to that example. I'm actually in the process of getting a Tide bank account right now. So thank you, Prerna, Tide, and Clearbank. Scott, over to you.
2: I think the obvious one is financial inclusion. The world is a different place. I mean, the, the pandemic's had a massive impact on people. We've been very fortunate in the past, I think I've been going nine months, shall we say, in the past nine months to come up with two solutions that have gone to market. One of them is a, it's the simple cardless cash solution. It enables you to simply get an SMS message and go to an ATM to pick up your 20 pounds. So, the you know, the the school meal voucher debacle, shall we call it, you know, that could be instantaneously solved by this methodology you know rather than sending someone out the food basket you literally send them a code they'll go pick up the, the 20 pound from the cash machine we're doing that with a company called Pimforn. and i think it's got great a great future the other one which it seems it's an unusual one and again it was born from the pandemic during that time obviously what particularly when it first started the only way you could shop was online and there's a lot of people who don't have that capability you don't have to have a bank account a card etc so we're working with a company who actually will take cash in and actually do a prepaid card on the back end of it to buy your goods online for you. And it's a quite an interesting use case for something so simple. And, you know, cash is often forgotten. It's, but there was a, a huge amount of the UK who don't have this capability. So it, it was a really nice use case that we were fortunate enough to work with them to bring to market. So I think they're two quite nice use cases for financial inclusion and helping people.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think I certainly concur on, on, on that, Scott. I think certainly, obviously, we, that's a project that we worked on together. So I think it's definitely a great example of basically how, uh, how the um, I guess financial services can help kind of the end in a completely different area. I think something that we have worked on, which is also uh, also quite interesting, is the kind of the convergence between buy-now-pay-later and card, uh, card issuance, uh, essentially enabling the buy-now-pay-later firm to uh, issue cards, to their consumers, once they have uh, passed uh, essentially a, a credit check, in order to enable enable them to, I would say, boost their their customer growth and uh, essentially enable their consumers to uh, essentially shop uh, at um, at firms which are not yet their their own customers. so Essentially, in order to to grow their values to the, to the consumers, so it's something that we're you know we're doing at the moment, and it's a it's an interesting interesting
3: use case, I would say. Amazing. So from enabling people that don't have cards to transact online, to supporting SMEs that may have not been able to get a current account before, and also enabling consumers to go from buy now, pay later to actually spend with other retailers. Thank you so much for all of those awesome examples of Fintech, providing Fintech services to make the world a better place. And also thank you so much for illuminating this trend. When I came into this episode, I must admit, I wasn't super clear on the value that fintech providers were having for other fintechs and also for the consumers, but now I definitely am, and I hope the audience is as well. So Olivier, Prana and Scott, thank you so much for your time. Thank
0: you. Thank you very much. Thank you.
3: And thank you so much for listening. I really, really enjoyed hosting this episode, and I hope we answered the question or we illuminated the topic of these new fintech providers coming in, providing services to other fintechs, almost bypassing the traditional financial institutions. I definitely felt like I had a much greater understanding of why this is happening and what actually is happening and the impact that it's gonna have on the world of finance going forward. So as always, thank you to our awesome guests, Olivier, Scott, and Perona. And thank you for listening. If you have any feedback for the show, please go to Apple, leave us an honest rating Review, we take on all the feedback, and we'll be seeing you in the next episode.